Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, my dear family. How are you? It's good to be with you. Um, I'm thrilled. Uh, and I, with you today, I, we're going to uh, uh, be off uh, on a conference later today. But I'm here with you right now, and I'm thrilled for it. I pray that you're well. I pray that you're healthy. And um, I think we're going to go right to the Baltimore Catechism. If I get into the news, that'll be the whole program, and you know the news as well as I do. So everything is going crazy, crazy, immoral, out of control, um, and you can add the adjectives to that. And I really want to stick with the Baltimore Catechism because I think we're out of time to rely on schools to teach our children, even if they're open, they are going to have the same Marxist ideology that much of the world is picking up now. I don't think you want to entrust your children to anyone outside of the home or a very, very good Catholic school. Not one in name only, but a real wonderful Catholic school. I've just been looking up. There's a tremendous school I can recommend to you. Um, it's Saint High School, Catholic High School in Madison, Wisconsin. Now, it's worth moving to Madison in order for you to go. It's St. Ambrose Academy, St. Ambrose Academy. Or if you want to take a look at what a good high school is, uh, a good model is, good teaching, curriculum, program, discipline, all of that, go to St. Ambrose, A-M-B-R-O-S-E, St. Ambrose Academy in Madison, Wisconsin. I don't know that you could do better than that. Uh, so there are good Catholic schools, elementary and high school, um, but they are few. Most of the Catholic schools I know are really not Catholic. Um, we had a family visit us recently, and the, the youngest girl is going to a Catholic school. Now she's on to high school. And I said to her, the elementary school, I said, how was it? Was it Catholic? And she looked at me, and she said it wasn't. It was awful. The children were awful, the teachers were awful, that they didn't learn their faith at all, but the title is Catholic. So if you're going to send your children to a Catholic school, mom, dad, don't find out how bad it is from your children. Go there, speak to the principal, speak to the teachers, get the curriculum, get the books beforehand, know what they will be taught. And they must not be subject to sex education or anything else that you, uh, that number one, sex education should not be in schools. It should not be in, even in Catholic schools. That's for the home. That's for the parents. Um, so I, I think um, we're coming to a time where you may want to continue your career, mom and dad, and send your children off to school. You may feel the schools do a better job than you will. 
I'm not sure that's true, uh, but I think we're coming to the time that you're not going to have that option unless you're going to turn your children over to be destroyed by the schools, by the um, um, by society. So uh, I know that's strong. I personally think the time has already come that we don't have that option, and we're going to have to learn how to live at home and homeschool our children. And if you already received, I think most of you have received our latest newsletter, the entire thing is on homeschooling. And so um, if you're not on our mailing list and you'd like that newsletter, just um, send us an email. Uh, if you can, go to www.motherofisraelshope um, uh, and click on newsletter or just go to the email, mail at Mother of Israel's Hope. Send us an email with your full address and we will, we will get it to you. Um, you can call as well. Uh, email is easier for us because then you can put your full address in there and we'll mail it to you. No charge. Um, so God bless you. And uh, I, I've picked out the Baltimore Catechism, which many have said is the greatest um, set of Catholic, book, Catholic books ever written. They're a Q&A format, easy to answer, succinct, uh, easy to memorize. And I think we need to start doing it. We are on question 160, 160. It actually began, we're on volume three, which began at question 126. So we haven't had that many questions as it sounds like. So we're now on 160. Um, and the question is, name some sacred truths not mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed, every Catholic should know by heart. So quickly go through it. And think of something that's not in there. Okay, the clock is dumb, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> okay, there's no mention of the Eucharist, the real presence of our Lord in the Apostles' Creed. There's no mention of the infallibility of the Pope, of the Immaculate Conception. Um, and there's other things that... Um, uh, that are not in the Apostles' Creed. Do we need to believe them if they're not in there? We certainly do, because it's the infallible teaching of the church. So if we say the Apostles' Creed, which, of course, uh, everybody should know, uh, I'll say it with you here. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I just read that to make sure I didn't mess it up. But we pray the rosary here every single day. We say the Apostles' Creed from memory every single day. That's the faith, beloved. That is the faith. And, um, and we need to know it. We need to know it. Do we need to know everything? No. 
but we cannot live what we cannot know, what we do not know. We need to know everything that is needful, everything that is infallible, everything that is a dogma of the church. Yes, we need to know that. Question 162, what is perfection? Our Lord says that we may be perfect in Matthew chapter 5. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What is perfection? And the answer here is a perfection. Now, what is a perfection? A perfection is any good quality a thing should have. A thing is perfect when it has all the good qualities it should have. So if you give me a watch and it has all its parts and good qualities and it's working, then the watch is perfect. It may not be your style or color, so it may not be perfectly what you wish, but it's a perfect watch. It has every quality it should have. What is God? Oh, what is God? Not who is God. What is God? Your four-year-old should be able to answer that. What is God? God is a spirit. And he is infinitely perfect. God is a spirit, infinitely perfect. And there are spirits that are not perfect at all, let alone infinitely perfect. What is God? God is a spirit, infinitely perfect. You could spend one lesson on that with your child, just one. What does, and, and, and repeat, uh, rehearse what perfect is. A thing is perfect when it has all the good qualities it should have. Does God have all the good qualities he should have? Well, the child could say, well, yes, he does, so that he's perfect and he's spirit. What's the difference between spiritual and material? And God is a spirit infinitely perfect. What does infinitely mean? You, you see, you're, you could have, you don't need to spend uh, 20 seconds on each question as we might do here you could spend an hour homeschooling on each question and when your child goes out into the world he's going to see it differently he's going to say look god made all this and god is spirit we can't even see him and he's perfect and all he made was perfect you you'll change the life of your children and your life if you go through it that way and meditate on it Next question, what do we mean when we say God is infinitely perfect? When we say, now I'm going to repeat what I said the other day, don't let your child or don't you say, or you're teaching a class of children, don't say it means God, um, we mean God has all the good qualities he should have. We know that's not the answer, it is. But the proper way to answer is to repeat the question in the answer. When we say God is infinitely perfect, we mean there is no limit or bounds to his perfection. And we'll continue. There's more to that answer when we come back. We'll continue right after the break, beloved. You'll be able to call in today um, after the second break with anything that's on your heart. Toll free, one 877 5115483 and email at mother at the station of the
We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustain Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live, to let you know that there is a magnificent array of programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, such as Stand Out for Life with Jim Havens and Father Imbarato. They pray for and discuss the pro-life movement each Saturday morning live at 9 a.m. Eastern. You can also listen to Stand Out for Life anytime as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. 30 Seconds on the Gifts of the Holy Spirit, brought to you by the Station of the Cross. The gift of piety is explained in the Catechism of the Catholic Church as the gift which leads one to devotion to God. In St. Paul's letter to the Romans, he writes, The spirit you received is not the spirit of slaves, it is the spirit of sons, and it makes us cry out, Abba, Father. The gift of piety stirs up in us the desire to love, respect, and honor our Lord. Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. And we have uh, 15 minutes together before the next break, at which point we'll take calls and texts and questions. And right now, we are on the Baltimore Catechism, and we said what is a perfection, and a perfection is any good quality a thing should have. A thing is perfect when it has all the good qualities it should have. Next, what is God? God is a spirit infinitely perfect. Now, what do we mean when we say God is infinitely perfect? Again, um, if you're teaching children at home or in the class, have them repeat the question in the answer. Because if, number one, it's, it's proper, but what if the child gives a wrong answer? And then you could say, now, how does that answer the question? And the child may say to you, well, what was the question again? You see, if they repeat the question and giving you the answer, they have the whole thing, they're saying it, and they'll have the perspective. So the answer, what do we mean when we say God is infinitely perfect? When we say God is infinitely perfect, we mean there is no limit or bounds to his perfection. For he possesses all good qualities in the highest possible degree, and he alone is infinitely perfect. 
infinitely, never-ending, no limit, no bounds, nothing. God is an infinite being. He had no beginning and no end. We are finite, uh, the opposite of infinite. Take the I in away. We are fi- finite. We have limits, limits all over the place, limits to what we can do, um, to what we can be, uh, to what we can think. We are limited. We are even limited by our physical bodies many times. But God is not limited. He is infinite. And when we say he's infinitely perfect, we mean there's no limit or bounds to his perfection. Next question. Had God a beginning? Had God a beginning? The other way to answer ask that is, um, uh, did God have a beginning? We could say that. Had God a beginning? And the answer, God had no beginning. He always was. He always will be. I don't know that anyone is ever going to wrap their minds around that one. Well, how did he come into being? Well, if God came into being, this is my own commentary, then someone would have made him, and then someone would be greater than God. No, God always existed. How could that be? It, it is. It is. It, it's, it's true. God had no beginning or a, no end. No beginning. How about Jesus? Did he have a beginning? No. For the opening of the Gospel of John says, in the beginning, and when we say in the beginning, we mean before anything began. In the beginning was the Word. Our Lord is called the Word, the Word of God. He was with God, and he was what he and he was with God, and he was God. Jesus uh, came into existence as a man. He took flesh and blood from the Virgin Mary, but he's the third person, the second person rather of the Blessed Trinity. And he, there was never a time when he didn't exist. He's God. God had no beginning. He always was. He always will be. Where is God? Where is he? And of course, I've met some dear young ones who say he's he's there, he's up in heaven. But the fact is, um, he's everywhere. There's no place that God is not. He fills all of heaven and earth. How is God everywhere? How is he everywhere? God is everywhere, whole and entire. So it's not a piece of God here and a piece of God there and a piece of God in Australia whole entire, wherever God is, it's all of God, all of God. God is everywhere, whole and entire, as he is in any one place. This is true. We must believe it, even though we cannot understand it. Uh, When we receive the Holy Eucharist, we know that is our Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And the reason that we've been speaking uh, about receiving our Lord, the importance of receiving our Lord on the tongue, is that when we receive him on our hand, particles fall. And the tiniest particle, the tiniest crumb, is the whole Christ. The tiniest speck is all of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, just as he was when he walked on earth. The Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, 100% um, God and 100% man, risen and glorified. 
is God everywhere. God is everywhere, whole and entire, as he is at any one place. He's When we receive our Lord in the Eucharist, does the host contain Jesus? No, it does not contain Jesus. It becomes Jesus. It becomes Jesus. And because Jesus, we're receiving Jesus, that host is our Lord. Does that mean he's not in the park or in other countries? No, no. He's God. He's everywhere and always present. We're not going to understand that, but we need to believe that. We can grow to understand that in part. We can grow to understand it, but nonetheless, we need to believe it. If we wait to understand everything that God has shown us, we will never know him. We will never worship him. Even in a relationship, there are people, there are spouses um, that have to tell their spouse something about them that maybe the other spouse would not have known if they weren't told. You know, you have a close friend you've known for 20 years, but have you known everything about that friend? No. There's some things we don't, many, many things we don't know, and we learn them as we, as we grow. And as we grow in, with God, deeper in union with him. And the next question, this would be perfectly uh, plausible. If God is everywhere, why do we not see him? Why do we not see him? Now, what would be the proper way for you or your child to begin to answer that question? Why do we not see him? And the way to begin that answer is, we do not see him because. See? We do not see him because he is a pure spirit and cannot be seen with our bodily eyes. We cannot see God. That doesn't mean he's not there. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and says, you see the, you don't see the wind, but you see its effects. You see the trees blowing. You can't see the wind, but you see the effect that it has, so you know it's windy. We do not see God, but we know that he exists. Why do we call God a pure spirit? And what's the beginning of that answer? See, all your children have to do, or you, is to repeat the question with because. Most of it, not all the time, won't fit. Why do we call God a pure spirit? Excuse me, dear ones. We call God a pure spirit because. Now your child can finish the sentence, or your friend, or you, or your class. We call God a pure spirit because he has no body. Our soul is a spirit, but not a pure spirit because it was created for union with our body. We do not have a pure spirit because it was created for union with our body. Pure spirits have no uh, material aspect to them, no body. They're pure only spirit. Pure uh, is not um, meaning pure versus sinful, but uh, totally uh, all um, only spirit. Our soul is a spirit, but not a pure spirit, 
because it was created for union with our body. So we're neither pure body or pure spirit. We're both. Why can we not see God with the eyes of our body? How come we can't see him? And the answer is, how do you begin the answer? Come on there, young people, how do you begin? Why can we not see God with the eyes of our body? And the beginning of the answer is, we cannot see God with the eyes of our body because, you see, when you do that, you you get the question, you absorb it, and you you can, um, and you'll learn it. We learn by hearing, even hearing ourselves. We cannot see God with the eyes of our body because they are created to see, our eyes are created to see only material things. And God is not material, but spiritual. So our eyes cannot see spirit unless, of course, that spirit is manifest to us and makes, its, and makes itself known to us. But if it's a pure spirit, we cannot see pure spirits with our eyes any more again than we can see the wind. Does God sees us? Does God see us? Of course he does. God sees us and watches over us. Is it necessary for God to watch over us? You know, I can think of some atheists who would say, there's no God. I don't need him watching over me. How, how foolish that soul is. How utterly, utterly foolish. The scriptures say the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. And one who says there's no God, I don't need God watching over me, is a fool. Um, he's an ignorant fool. Ignorant, that means unknowledgeable, lacking knowledge of the fact that God has watched over him from his birth and even assigned an angel to him. Is it necessary for God to watch over us? What would you say? Well, I, I don't know it's necessary. I don't need God to watch over me. Yes, you do. It is necessary for God to watch over us. For without his constant care, we could not exist. Every breath we take, beloved, is from the grace of God. Every breath we take, every thought we think is by God's grace because he does watch over us. Does God know all things? Yes, God knows all things, even our most secret thoughts, words, and actions. He knows all things. He knows what I'm thinking at all times. That's, you know... Uh, we wouldn't want some people to know what we're thinking at all times but we don't fear God knowing that which is a little tragic if our thoughts are not what they should be that we don't mind God knowing them but he does there's the music for our second break beloved we'll be right back after the break call in toll free with anything on your heart 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 .7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I grew up Catholic Church, haven't been in the Catholic Church for decades, but I'm in the process of working my way back for the simple reason that I needed a place to listen to pro-life, pro-family messages, Catholic radio events. It's a place to hear that message without all the political bias and all that that's going on on News Talk Radio. It changed my life. It's the only station I turn on. The Catholic station is an answer to prayer. It just couldn't be more fulfilling. It's helped me learn more about the faith, and it's helped me to deepen my faith as a result of that. It's on continuously in my house, day and night. You can't imagine how much I receive from that channel. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. Call in with anything on your heart, toll free, 1-877-511-5483. Um, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have a text from somebody who writes it anonymously and says and asks, how would you explain relics such as bones to someone uh, not Catholic. Well, if they're not Catholic but they're Christian, you can you can simply go to Scripture. We we know that um, um, uh, the woman that touched the hem of our Lord's garment was healed um, uh, from her. Um, um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm distracted here. We we didn't shut our phone off. I'm so sorry. Um, um, uh, I'm looking at so many, so many scriptures, but um, Elijah, um, uh, someone uh, touched his bones after he was buried. Uh, they were resurrected. I'm thinking um, of the woman who, um, uh, Lydia, uh, who, who uh, they, I, I, I have to go to the scriptures. I'm so sorry uh, to look them up, but there have been um, many, many uh, pieces of clothing, bones, relics that have been kept. 
uh, from loved ones, from the saints. And I had a Protestant friend who... um, who, uh, after I became Catholic, she had. The, she said, "How could you, uh, those relics? What? What do you? That's idolatry, and of course we're not worshiping them." But she took me to her house, and she took me to um, see. She was a grandmother, and she had an entire hall, hallway filled, not only with pictures of her family, but with relics. Uh, she wouldn't call them relics, but there was an actual little box closed stuck to the wall of her little first baby's curls um, and she would she would kiss them right and and a number of baby shoes it that's all it is it is um, we love them we're not worshiping anybody we're not using them as a magic rabbit's foot but God has used um, the garments in scripture of people um, the bones um, uh, to bring grace to people through them. He does that. They're called uh, sacramentals. Let me just see if I can. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I wish I had some scriptures for you. Um, let me see. Uh, tendency to. In the sacraments. Let me just say that, in the, well, these are sacraments and not sacramentals, um, but it's always God's grace, beloved. So I, if I have a bone, the, the, a bone is a first class because it's actually the body of the person. So whether or not the actual uh, of a saint who's very special to me, um, whether or not uh, I carry it with me all the time because I know the spirit of the saint is with me and and I pray to that saint um, and I know that he hears and answers because God um, has made it possible for us to communicate with the dead. Um, I think there's a sense, I wish I could get to this simple explanation. If you, um, I have my mom's veil, let's just say that, from the synagogue. We never went into the synagogue without women wearing veils. And men, of course, yarmulkes, skullcaps. And I have my mom's uh, veil from the synagogue. I've never even washed it because it still has her bit of a fragrance on it. And I kiss it sometimes, and I said, Mom, I miss you, and I love you, and there's just a sense. It's not magic. It's just a sense of her presence. It's a very, very wonderful thing to have something precious that someone owned. Um, it's very, very precious, and, and that's part of the idea of relics. And it is in Scripture, and I'm failing you right now by not giving you, I think... Um, I think it's in Acts chapter, was it chapter 15? I'm not sure now, um, where uh, someone was healed just by coming into Peter's shadow. So there's just any, anything that belongs to a person um, is given the life of that person to a point. Um, and that's the idea of relics. So we could have relics from someone who died 2,000 years ago, and they're as precious today. They don't lose their um, grace. They're as precious today as they were then. Um, and we actually have uh, the life through that piece of clothing, 
through that bone, we actually have a sense um, of the life of that person that is uh, with us. It's very, very special. I think even if you go through your the attic and you find real special things of your of your parents, your grandparents, and and you learn more about them, and you there's a sense of their being present with you. Um, so I think it's the best I can do right now. I'm so sorry not to do better for you, um, but let me just see. Um, Okay. Oh, I think somebody just helped me out. Um, well, I mentioned the hem of Christ's cloak in Matthew nine twenty to 22, and the sick uh, who were healed when Peter's shadow passed over them, Acts 5. Uh, I did mention that. And, um, and then another quote from Acts 19, God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs, that's what I was thinking of before, even with Lydia. Handkerchiefs or aprons were carried away from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. That's probably the only verse you really need. Acts 19, verses 11 and 12. Um, God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were carried away from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. That's pretty powerful. Just from material that had touched Paul's body, and not even his direct body, but that were part of his clothing. So uh, this is not new. Uh, right from the beginning of the church, and the Jewish people um, uh, understood this as well. We have an email from Meredith. Meredith writes, Dear Mother Miriam, first of all, I cannot thank you enough for your vocation and your ministry. You know what? Let me just go backwards because I did such a poor job with that that question. Um, get uh, Patrick Madrid's book. Um, Patrick Madrid, uh, his book... Oh, I tell you, my mind is leaving me this morning. Any Friend of God's, G-O-D apostrophe S, Any Friend of God's is a friend of mine. It has to do with the communion of saints, those who are between heaven and earth. And I very much believe Patrick deals with that issue. And everything that Patrick Madrid deals with is, is as good as it can get. He's wonderful. Any Friend of God's is a friend of mine is the... Uh, title of the book it deals with the communion of the saints and purgatory that book helped me into the church it's outstanding okay an email from meredith who says first of all i cannot thank you enough for your vocation and your ministry god bless you meredith i can't thank god enough um you are one of very few voices crying out in the wilderness of this modern mess we find ourselves in i found your show about a year ago thanks to god's goodness and have enjoyed your wit and wisdom since. Both the resources you choose to highlight and your commentary on them are absolute gems, and I thank you for that. Well, dear Meredith, I thank you for your your dear, dear words. That's not always the case from everyone. Um, now to business, she says. I converted to Catholicism 10 years ago after my husband, then boyfriend, introduced me to the faith. While I have treasured it from the start, 
it wasn't until just a couple of years ago that I started digging into it and claiming it as my own. Well, blessed be God for that. I have come to realize that there is so much more than what I was given at RCIA or ever found in my Novus Ordo Parish. I tell you what, uh, Meredith, without going to your RCA a class or your parish, I, I could have told you that there's so much more. After starting the St. Bridget 12-year prayer last August, wow, my husband has gotten serious about his spiritual life. All right. As well uh, as you are, praise God. We just moved with our three children to South Dakota to the most amazing FSSP parish, that's the fraternity of the Society of St. Peter, in June, and are so grateful to God for opening our eyes to so many truths within our beautiful faith. I'm thrilled for you, Meredith. That's so good. She continues, along this journey, I've done much research and reflection on modesty. Thank you for your numerous episodes on just that topic, God's will. However, I still have so many questions and I feel the lack of a proper formation in virtue has left me ill-equipped to resolve them. Could you offer me some guidance on the finer points of modesty, specifically where they intersect with raising daughters and pursuing athletics? Yes. My three-year-old is an exceptionally athletic and bold and excelled at gymnastics, for the few months I had her enrolled, it's a great outlet for her energy and teaches her some safety and caution where she has none naturally. However, I have concerns about where this could lead when she is older. Gymnasts' uniforms are quite revealing. And while she is only a toddler now, I know modesty is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I am reluctant to do anything to undermine her God-given sense for such a virtue. Is a gymnast leotard inherently immodest? Uh, the answer is yes. Is a gymnast leotard inherently immodest? Yes. A leotard is underwear. It's not to be made uh, used as outerwear. Yes, it is. Now, a lot of people are going to balk at that right now. Mother Miriam, you're just out to lunch. Well... Uh, if you were wearing uh, a, a leotard and nothing else, you'd be out to lunch too. What about a ballerina's? No. The leotard is all right, but a ballerina wears a skirt over that. And so should the the gymnast should wear some form of um, um, something over those leotards. Uh I, I don't know what would, it, it, maybe it could be shorts. Um, maybe um, it could be, instead of leotards, uh, some kind of looser pant leg. I don't know. I, I'm not in that business. I'd have to see what's available. You can also look back a um, 100 years and see what people wore because uh, gymnastics is not brand new. See what they wore then. Um what about a ballerinas? No. Again, if it's only a leotard, it's not modest. It's uh, pointedly immodest. If you wear a dress over it, yes, that's all right. How am I to reconcile Pope St. John Paul II in love and responsibility um, if then we wish to pass a moral judgment on particular forms of dress? We have to start from 
and she, you didn't finish that email. So I don't know what you're going to write there about John Paul II. Um, but there's the music for our break, and I'll make a couple of comments when we come back on Modesty. Um, Meredith and anyone else, please feel free to call in with anything on your heart. One eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the We'll be right back, beloved. Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the church. Subscribe today at faithfulinsight.com and may God bless you. This is Jim Roy, president of the Station of the Cross. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our 2020 Fall Appeal is dedicated to helping people know and understand our Lord's commandments. We hope you can help us today. You may soon receive a mailing that will tell you more about the appeal and the great gifts that you can receive. Please help us get off to a fantastic start by returning the envelope from one of our mailings. Or if possible, help us right now by calling 1-877-711-8500 or go to thestationofthecross.com or by using the donation page from your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Our website and app can also be a great way to view our Fall Appeal gifts. Your generosity will help countless people know and follow God's commandments. Thank you, and God bless you and your families. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment together, and... Um, we are reading and right in the middle of an email. And again, you're certainly welcome to call in. There's a good 10 minutes for us to do that. Um, we're in the middle of an email by Meredith. And um, I, we have the end of that email now. Um, let me just see where we left off. Okay, here it is. Is a gymnast... Leotard inherently immodest. I said yes right away. 
I I don't know that um, I don't know it's necessary to um, not have anything else on. It may be. It may be. I don't know that. But um, and she says, what about ballerinas? How am I to reconcile Pope St. John Paul II's in love and responsibility? And here it's quoted. If then we wish to pass a moral judgment on particular forms of dress, we have, to, we have to start from the particular functions which they serve. When a person uses such a form of dress in accordance with its objective function, we cannot claim to see anything immodest in it. If it involves partial nudity, even if it involves partial nudity, nudity, um, Whereas the use of such a costume outside its proper context is immodest and is inevitably felt to be so. And then she says, with Pope Pius XI in a papal decree concerning modesty says, quote, let those same parents prohibit the children from public athletic events and gymnastics competitions, or at least if their daughters must be involved in them, that they take care to exhibit clothing which is fully in keeping with modesty and that their parents never permit them to wear immodest clothing. Um, Those are two contradictory statements from the two popes. Um, Pope John Paul II was much more involved in modernity, in in our changing world. Uh, Pope Pius XI uh, was not. And um, I take the view of Pope Pius XI. Let those same parents prohibit their children from public athletic events and gymnastics competitions, or at least if their daughters must be involved in them, that they take care to exhibit clothing, which is fully in keeping with modesty, and that their parents never permit them to wear immodest clothing. And... um, we go on further here. Um, is it prudent to allow her to grow up to love a sport that presents at least some risk of injury, even one that could affect her later in life? I know one woman who had considerable difficulty with having children after a gymnastics injury to her pelvis when she was a girl. Well, you know, at the moment, I'm I'm thinking of... Uh, you'll have to bear with me here, Fiddler on the Roof. If any of you saw that film, uh, Jewish Morals, those daughters were dressed modestly. There's no way by any stretch of the imagination that anyone who saw that film and knows anything of that culture, by any stretch of the imagination, could they see any of those girls in a leotard for gymnastics in public or in their home she would not be able to walk around in the home with a leotard that's completely immodest and so i think our priority is not sports our priority is growing up young women to be modest um and um not to get used to exposing your body get used to immodesty because of a certain sport you wish to do. Um, I'm with Pius XI. Uh, never permit your children to wear, men or women, immodest clothing. I, I 
personally believe that. Um, she goes on, athletics are wonderful for habituating many virtues. You're right. Discipline, fortitude, diligence, etc. But is it possible in today's society to do pious ca- or do pious Catholics have no place in popular athletics? Well, you know, there used to be a time that certain sports were for girls and certain sports were for boys. Now, everybody does everything. So, again... If you're playing soccer, uh, it's not, uh, it's not, um, how do I say, it's really not a female activity, even though I know you're going to come at me for this. There's no beauty of the feminine in watching someone run and kick a ball under, out of under someone else's foot. It's, it's masculine. I don't think women should be involved in many of the sports they're involved in. Personally, I've never spoken about this before. But if the subject is modesty, you teach women to be men. You put them in the same sports as men, uh, baseball, basketball, volleyball, all of that. And then you want them to wear a dress to church. And they don't want to. Why can't we wear pants, Mom? You know? Uh, it's almost teaching them to be two different people, I think. And I've never really thought this through before. I'm thinking it through now. Um, She says, um, is it possible in today's society or do pious Catholics have no place in popular um, athletics? Pious Catholics do, but I think a female needs to choose the athletics that will keep her modest. Modesty has to do not just with clothing, but the deportment of the body and, and everything else. And I, when I watch women in the Olympics, they're, they're, are they very good? Yes. Are they trained? Yes. In some cases, do they do a better job than men? Yes. All of that. But I'm embarrassed by it. I'm embarrassed by what they wear and how they look and exposing like they are. I I don't think that's what God intended for women. I do not. Um, She says, with the hypersexualization of modern culture, is there anywhere left for modest Catholic maidens to pursue art in athletics? Well, ballet is art in athletics. Ballet is beautiful. You can wear leotards, but you wear a skirt over that. And you don't have to wear a skirt that comes all the way up. Um, there are beautiful ballet skirts that are very light and give you a lot of flexibility. Uh, offhand, I don't think of, I'm not thinking of anything else. I know there are other sports. Um, uh, gymnastics or classical dance. Well, I don't know what you mean by classical dance, but I don't know what you mean by that. But yes, there are forms of dance that a woman can learn and remain her fe- uh, retain her femininity and her modesty. She says, thank you for your time and consideration. You remember to my prayers in Corde Immaculata, in the heart of the Immaculata Meredith. Meredith, bless you. You know, I think the fact that you're struggling with this is enough, is enough. Um, I know you started your little one on gymnastics. Um, and she's going to want to grow older and probably compete. Uh, I personally don't think it's right. I've watched the Olympics. I've watched women in, in g- gymnastics. They've done tremendous things, but um, it's there's nothing feminine about it. 
and nothing um, virtuous about it. So um, um, I, you're going to have to make that decision for yourself whether you go with John Paul II or Pope Pius XI. I'm with Pope Pius XI. That's our closing music, and I'm going to repeat the statement. Let those same parents prohibit their children from public athletic events and gymnastic competitions. At least if their daughters must be involved in them, they take care to exhibit clothing which is fully in keeping with modesty and that their parents never permit them to wear immodest clothing. That's where I stand. There's other ways for your daughters to exercise. Okay, God bless you, everyone, and we'll speak with you tomorrow.